All right. Uh, so first of all, th thank you very much for the questions that were submitted uh, and your thoughts. That's very helpful. It, it helps me to uh, kind of have a frame of where you guys are coming from. So uh, thank you very much. Um, yeah. So, uh, and for the, everyone who was here uh, last week, hopefully when we do break up, uh, you can uh, uh, share a little bit, you know, the reflections that you did have, but let me see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Yeah, okay. Um, so just by way of a little introduction, uh, if, this, if, if the story of Jonah ended after chapter two, it would, it would make a nice story. It would be a, a story of calling and repentance. Right? I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, and it would be a, kind of a typical conversion story. You know, uh, I was called and going along this way, but God rescued me, right? If the story ended uh, at chapter three after last week's thing, it would also be a great story. Uh, it would be a great story of calling, repentance, and then like a heroic response to one's calling, right? Oh yeah, I felt called this way, but then I went down a deep rabbit hole, but uh, somehow God rescued me. And then I finally did what I was supposed to do and boom, you know, had a great finish. Great story, right? In fact, I think a, a, a story ending at chapter three would be um, kind of uh, parallel to the modern mythical story of our modern modern society, right? You, know, you feel a tugging to a certain direction, you're hesitant, but you overcome your fears, and then you do it. You live out what you're supposed to do and get great results and in, in, in all that. Because in terms of results, Jonah, he was, he was the most successful prophet, right? The whole capital city of Nineveh, like uh, just just uh, turned around. But the story doesn't end there, right? Does it? We have today's chapter four. Uh, and I mean, I, as Ginny mentioned, it's a very confusing chapter. Uh, it's kind of very mysterious and uh, it's kind of weird too, right? Uh, uh, so what's going on here? Uh, what's, what's the purpose of it? But the point is we have a chapter four, which means that it means something, right? And because it's the concluding chapter of a very short book, it must be a very important chapter, right? And I think it's perhaps the most important chapter. And so I think the, the key uh, to the meaning of this whole book is kind of almost revealed and contained in this chapter. So it's very important that we reflect deeply on this uh, last chapter. Okay, so um, I'm going to, we're going to have, there's going to be three areas. So uh, if there's enough people, we're going to have three groups. Um, um, and, and each group will tackle one of these areas, okay? So the first uh, is uh, Jonah's anger, because uh, there's some good questions and thoughts uh, about this. If you read the chapter in the English version, the word angry comes up five times in a short chapter. If you include uh, the Hebrew root word of that word displeased, that was in verse one, uh, it, means, it means something similar to anger. So uh, in other words, six times in a short uh, chapter, this anger comes up. So you guys were correct to identify this and, and have questions about it. So Jonah, it's a recurring theme and uh, Jonah's angry uh, that God changed his mind about Nineveh. So yes, yeah, some of you guys identified that. 
in verse, uh, was it two and three? Um, he reveals the true reason why he ran away in the first place, right? He knew that God was compassionate and would uh, change his mind. So uh, that statement reveals uh, intimate knowledge of God right, that he had. He knows that God is compassionate, merciful, and slow to anger. But Jonah's reaction to what God did reveals that uh, DP is right when he states that uh, Jonah's got no love for Nineveh. Right? If you read uh, in chapter 3 uh, what he did very carefully, you, you see that all Jonah did in Nineveh was proclaim Nineveh's impending doom. So here, 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all he said. That was it. He didn't offer a way out. He didn't say, if you do this, then maybe you'll be saved. Just 40 days more and you're, you're doomed. That's it. Right? So I think probably he was kind of hoping that this prophecy would come true. I think, uh, Michelin, you were asking that, right? Uh, just a while ago. Um. And I think because of the historical reasons, too, that I identified last week, you know, Assyria, uh, you know, they, they just obliterated Israel. So there's all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so so Ginny asked, uh, after after God, like, asked him, why are you so angry? Why he went out to see what would happen? And, yeah, I think Jonah, he probably did go out to see and i think michelin you I, you asked these questions too probably did go out to see if god might actually maybe change his mind again right and at the last minute just uh, rain fire on nineveh that, that's that's my guess and assumption right it was almost like he was giving god one more chance come on god man make good on like what you're supposed to do right so in line with some of those questions posed uh, i will uh Copy these into the, the chat. So this relates to Jonah's anger. It's the first set of questions. Where's the chat be at? Okay. Okay. Now, why is Jonah so angry about God's compassion and change of heart? What does his anger reveal about Jonah? Now, I was telling us some of the, the, the people earlier. Um, I don't want, I mean, obviously start with some simple surface level answers, but really try to go a little deeper each, each time you're talking about this, right? Uh, I want you to really um, use your imaginations and, and, uh, and grapple with these questions and go deep, okay? Don't just try not to just stay at the surface level, okay? Like really, I mean, okay, so fine. Surface level, we know that God was angry because he didn't like Nineveh, okay? But go deeper. Why was he still so angry to the point where he says, like, I'd rather die, right? And uh, what does that say about Jonah? Okay, So, so that's about uh, his anger. Second part, uh, the bush, uh, you guys uh, uh, identified here again. Jonah, this guy, he was so pissed off and angry, but then God provided this bush, and he was very happy. Right? He was so happy about it. It's almost like he forgot his anger at God uh, uh, for letting Nineveh live. It provided a nice shade and comfort. But God sends a worm, right, that attacks it and makes it wither. 
that sun just starts beating down. I don't know if you guys have been in like the desert and stuff, like even in Nevada or a place like that. When the sun beats down on you, it beats down, right? So when there's no shade. And then when there's like a wind, it, a dry wind, it chafes against your face. So, so this dude is really uncomfortable now, right? And uh, his anger is kindled once again. And it's to the point where, where he repeats uh, what he said uh, earlier. So this is like a repetition. It is better for me to, uh, to die than to live, right? The interesting thing here is that God asks the second time, uh, is it right for you to be angry? So the first time he asked that, uh, if you notice, read, read carefully, he didn't answer. He simply leaves town, right? He's like, why are you so angry, Jonah? He just walks away. But the second time he responds, he's like, yes, I'm angry enough to die. So, um, some questions for, for this group. Okay, what's different about his anger about the bush from his anger about Nineveh? Okay, so like his anger towards Nineveh regarding, and his anger about the bush. What's different? But what's the same? Right? And what do you learn again about Jonah from this? And what do we learn about ourselves? Because some of you guys asked that question. Okay. And then the final section is about Jonah's repentance and God's calling. Okay. If you guys recall, when Jonah was in the belly of the fish in chapter 2, he had a deep moment of reckoning, right? He had a, he had a moment of repentance. Um, he, said, he, he said this. I'll read this. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Okay. So there's some repentance there. Now Rocky asked a good question. He asked if uh, he was wondering if Jonah actually repented in the fish or if it was superficial. So that's the first um, so what do you think? Okay, so that's one question. So let me, I'm just gonna paste all these. And then what's the difference between his repentance in the fish and what you see here in chapter four? Okay. And on the face of it, it seems like Jonah's calling was to go to Nineveh and cry out against it. Was that it? Or was his calling something more than that, right? And try to see if it's more than what's that more, right? Uh, that last, yeah, okay, fine. This last chapter revealed about the nature of God's calling. Okay. All right, so a lot of, a lot of good questions. But uh, if each group tackles one set, I think you should be able to make some uh, headway there. Okay, so let me uh, pause All right, so then uh, Jonah's anger um, about Nineveh. Why is Jonah so angry about God's compassion and change of heart? What, what are some, yeah, anything for you personally from, from that group that struck out to you? Given that none of my other members want to speak, um, 
I'll take up the mantle. Um, so we kind of discussed how you know Jonah was feeling um, quite arrogant, um, and he didn't really seem to care about the people. Um, you know, he wanted to see Nineveh suffer, um, and he wanted God to kind of you know remove that evil um, that was there. Uh, another thing that we kind of discussed was um, he's kind of you know maybe he, we think he's maybe too smart for his own good. Um, you know, like God wanted to save Nineveh, Nineveh but Jonah want, wanted destruction. Um, so we talk about, oh, another good point. Yeah, sorry. Um, is that Jonah kind of reacts, you know, how other, like, other people would normally react. Just kind of like when things aren't going our way, we kind of, you know, sometimes we throw tantrums, sometimes we throw kind of like little hissy fits. Um, and it's kind of like a reflection of us um, in our kind of everyday lives. Um, that was something that we noticed. Um, and Daniel said something very important that he'd like to share about, you know, what being aware, what was that? Take it away, Daniel. Uh. I, I think that uh, the thought might have escaped me at the moment, but I reiterate kind of everything that Josh has been saying. True that, Josh. Like I was saying, uh, Daniel mentioned that uh, maybe Jonah wasn't even aware of these things, um, that the, the things that God provided him, uh, like the, the plant, you know, he, maybe he was just so self-absorbed in his own world that, he didn't realize that these were actual gifts from God. And that, you know, nothing that he did, nothing that he um, like invested in, it was all provided from God. Um, and how, that how right, that he only thinks about himself and not the other. So that's my side. Yeah, okay. So, so thinking about himself, uh, you mentioned the word arrogant. Uh, but when it comes from Nineveh, like... Uh, what's what's the causing this underlying emotion like there's a deep emotional reaction from him right some something is uh something has really triggered it um so in our group we yeah. talked a little so from what i can remember um we talked a little bit about um again god's grace towards jonah and mm. i think um I think in a way we also agreed that Jonah was acting in a very childish way. Um, we thought that, you know, when God showed Jonah grace, Jonah was totally on board with that. Mm -hmm. And yet when God is showing um, the Ninevites, the same kind of grace and compassion for whatever reason, Jonah is really angry. Uh -huh. um, and then John mentioned going back to chapter one, the, the, the sailors, the men on the boat, um, they also um, showed Jonah a similar kind of grace because at first they refused to throw him overboard, even, even though Jonah actually suggested it. So it seems like, to me, it seems like Jonah's really used to receiving all these kind of special treatment. Mm. <laughs> um, and yet he's not that forgiving when it comes to other people. Yes. Um, 
and I think God is trying to show him, mm-hmm. kind of teach him that it's not right. Yes, uh, excellent, excellent insights there. Uh, that's why in chapter two, it's all about um, uh, that. That was Jonah's experience of God's grace, right? So w- when it was uh, about him, grace for him. He, yeah, he, th- those are great words he used, right? You know, uh, as for me, I will like raise, sing with my voice of thanksgiving and like uh, all that stuff and deliverances from the Lord. He, he had a powerful, very real experience of grace, but when it was for him. But as you mentioned, when this grace is being extended to, um, I mean, you can call them enemies, right? They, they were, uh, the Assyrians were pe- peoples that, kind of really conquered and obliterate them. So the enemies, then it stops there, right? So uh, what you said is very correct. And in that way, uh, I guess, Jonah, I think there, there's some arrogance there. Uh, he had his set um, mind made up about who's deserving of God's mercy, didn't he? I can, I mean, in emotional level, I can kind of uh, understand, you know, um, that's probably how a lot of Koreans have felt towards Japanese, right? All the things that they did to us in our country and, and whatever, like, they don't deserve, like, compassion, grace, and mercy. I mean, I, I can understand at a certain level, right? At a very personal level for me, too, for a long time, I harbored deep resentments, right, towards, like, like white people and things like that. Like, uh, I was like, they don't deserve like, uh, you know, good special treatment. So, I mean, I can understand that, but, um, but whatever the case, Jonah was still trapped by that, you know? Uh, and so that experience of grace didn't extend, you know, forth from him. Okay. So, so good. Uh, but then what about the bush? In, in what way is his anger there different? Is it different? In what way is it the same? How is it different from the anger... Uh, that he had towards uh, God uh, for forgiving the Ninevites. How is the how is the underlying rationale for his anger different in the two two scenarios? Maybe he felt one was justified over the other. Uh-huh. That's right. In the case of his anger uh, uh, toward God for forgiving Nineveh, Nineveh, you could sort of, as I mentioned, kind of rationalize that, right? Like uh, it's about justice, right? For justice sake, God should not have forgiven, let the Ninevites off so easily. That's different. Whereas like, in this, what's the issue here? This is like strictly about his own comfort, right? In that way, it's very, their the rationales are different. So th- if it's just the first one, 
if that was the only time he was angry, you could almost kind of say, oh, okay, I, I understand, you know, I, you know, I get it, I get it, right? Uh, but this time around, it's, yo, dude, man, like, you know, you didn't even like create this plant for yourself, right? So it's, so it's different in that way, you know? Uh, but then, so in what, but in what way is it the same then? His, his reaction. Well, we talked about how well, we came to the conclusion that both were self-serving. Mm, yeah. Right. They, it wasn't for the, the kingdom of God or the, or for his will or, or for his extension of, you know, what, what God was trying to really prove or do, but rather it was self-serving in the sense of, okay, these people deserve it. Like they need to get it. Okay, that bush, I need, I needed that, I deserved it, and you should keep on with this comfort. Um, so really, it just to conclude it, what did we learn about Jonah from this? Is just, he was really self-serving, right? Yeah. He could only see inwards and how God could benefit him and his will and the things that he wanted to achieve or desire, yeah. as opposed to looking outwards as to the bigger picture. Yeah. Right of why things were happening and why he was so forgiving, even though he says that, you know, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. You know why? What what really confused me, right, is that even reciting that and knowing that, you know, why couldn't he redirect that same understanding to himself in his own situation? Yeah. And that that's coming from a third party angle, right? <laughs> but in the moment, if you're if you're going through something like that, do we have that third person angle to reflect and say, you know, maybe we're being too arrogant, maybe we're being too self serving. Yeah. Uh, so that's really the the challenge there, or the the thought, yeah. or food for thought area. Yeah. Good points. That's the, the, I think you identified the similarity very correctly at the end of the day right now, he's, it's all about him. Right. So I'll give him this, like he, he knew God, he knew God pretty well enough to be like, say, I, yeah, I knew you were like this. So I didn't want to go. Right. I knew you, but the, so he knows God, but um, I guess knowing someone just about who they are, and having that real relationship where you are changed by it, those are two different things. He was, so at the end of the day, he still wasn't changed. He was uh, holding on to his own um, idea of what things should be like, right? Jesus, uh, he, he uh, uh, I mean, he, he shared us several parables, right? Like uh, one is uh, he hired like all these laborers, right? At the beginning of the day and said, these will be your wages. And they're thankful. They're like, oh, thanks for this work. And they start working. But um, every hour he kept telling them, bring in more people. And then he paid them the same wages, right? And so by the end of the day, like the, the, the ones who worked one hour, they got paid the same wage. And so the ones who've been there all day, they're now unhappy, right? They're grumbling. They're like, yo, yo, man, I've been like toiling all day. Why, why, why are these guys getting the same amount, right? But then, I mean... You know, at the, but God is like, at the end of the day, he was like, you didn't have a job at first and I gave you 
this is very fair wage, is it not? Right. So there's that. And then there's the, the story of the prodigal son. Right. You know, we, we all know that one. Like two sons, the younger one goes off and like takes the wealth and squanders it all, comes back. But then when he comes back, there's a party. But then the oldest son who remained at home say, hey, man, I've been here. I've been like, Yoshimi, you know, like doing all this, like very diligently. Why, why is this guy getting a party? Right. So that kind of uh, uh, that's very analogous to, I think, maybe what Jonah's feeling here. Right. All that these Assyrians did. They destroyed our nation, our people, and you're going to show compassion. I thought we were your people, right? Oh, we were your people. So uh, there's that. But then, uh, so that that's for the first one. That would have been justified. But then uh, this second one, yeah, the bush. What's the issue here? This is about your comfort, dude, from, from the sun and from the wind, right? So I think it's very revealing that at the end of the day, uh, Jonah is not able to. Uh, uh, so th- I think this relates to this question of calling then, you know, if if the Jonah story ended at chapter three, then it would have been merely about what he did. Right. And the spectacular uh, achievement he had. And like I said, that's modern society's definition of like calling and how we do it. But uh, uh, I think it's something a little different. Maybe we'll get that to that soon. But uh, uh, he was, in other words, he remained in his small world. He was not able to rise above and see God's much bigger world. Right? And at the end of the day, it's still all about him. And so I think uh, he prayed in the, in the belly of the fish. He prayed like this prayer of thanksgiving, right? I with thanksgiving. I think... Uh, for us too, human beings, you know, when it's like Thanksgiving and things like that, I think we genuinely feel thankful, right? Holidays and stuff. We're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm blessed, you know, I'm blessed. But if we're honest, you know, are we, are we thankful at all times? St. Paul said, you know, uh, rejoice always, uh, give Thanksgiving without, always without ceasing. So do we really do that? During this COVID time, if we're honest with ourselves, we've always been thankful, right? So, any comment? Sorry, those those examples that you gave uh, about the prodigal son and about you know the the person who who hired all these people and gave them the same wage. I think they speak to our sense of fairness. So we have a very clear sense of what's fair and we equate that with, oh, that's not right. If, if I get uh, somehow slighted in the eyes of fairness, I say, oh, that's not right. So I extend that to justice. So what to me is not fair, I extend that to, oh, that, that's wrong. It's not, it's not, it's not only not fair, but that's wrong. Right. And so it just kind of reminds me that, you know, fairness is a human construct. I don't think God cares about fairness at all. Right. I don't think God looks at fairness or, or it seems to me that um, fair, you know, humans are obsessed with fairness, whereas God's more about love. 
So like the prodigal son example, I think what we're to take away from that is, you know, the older son, he was upset because he felt like he was being treated unfairly. Um, but then if he saw it, if the older son saw it through the eyes of love, he, he might have celebrated along with everybody else mm -hmm. the fact that his younger brother is back. And the question of fairness would not, may not have entered his mind. Yeah. Right. So it just reminds me that these values that we hold dear to ourselves, like fairness, it's, it's, it's things, things that we've made up. Yeah. Right. And it's not necessarily uh, biblical. It's not necessarily uh, foundational to the way that God wants us to live our lives. Yeah. John, as you're saying that, I mean, the, the thought that came to me was the older son, he didn't have his father's heart. And, and which also then means like, what kind of relationship did he really have? I think, uh, I think then the elder son, it was still all, always about him. He was just almost maybe waiting for his pops to croak or something. And then he would take over. All right. I mean, uh, if he truly loved his father, he would like, understand his father's heart have mm. a little bit more of that wouldn't he mm. yeah he may, he may have stuck around and done everything for his father just yeah. out of a sense of duty that's right not, duty not necessarily out of love and respect yeah so the the response is very telling his response to the way that his father received his younger brother is very telling All right just the way that uh Jonah's response to the way that, uh, yeah, just in almost every chapter here in Jonah, it's very telling to what really is in his heart. Yeah. And so I think a good question for us, or good, I mean, for us is uh, if we know, if we really know our God, then we should know our God's heart. Right. And uh, St. Paul describes like God's grace as just immeasurable and overflowing. Right. That kind of experience. So in other words, uh, uh, it can never be contained in my little vessel. God's grace always it comes in, but always has to overflow. Right. And, and if I am part of God's calling and, and God's flow of the spirit, then uh, I, I am called to be a part of that overflowing grace. I think similar to like um, what you're saying about knowing God's heart, it's also, we have to know our own heart. Yeah. Like sometimes I think we have these like manicured versions of who we are or who we think we are that sometimes like it's hard to even know like just our true naked self right because I mean we can say that we oh maybe I do show grace to people who I want to show that grace to but like you said like do I show that overflowing grace to people mm -hmm. who you know like John you were saying who I think is wrong or like who I think have treated others or treated me unfairly like am I so quick to overflow with my graciousness to them I think sometimes like 
we don't even know what's in our own heart. And it, it's funny that you talk about the prodigal son story because like, oh, that one is, it's such a, um, it rings so close to home for me for the longest time because I, I saw myself and my brother in that story. And like to a certain extent, nah, maybe not as much now, but like when we were growing up and probably up until like, my mid 20s or 30s but then yeah like there was a point where I I didn't understand like why my parents continued to you know be that way with my brother but then yeah I started thinking about it from their side like he might do all these things but at the end of the day he's still their son like he's still their beloved child you know in spite of what he is or isn't doing but I I couldn't see that because I thought it was so unfair (laughs) and it's hard to like remember that you know here here I was thinking like thinking that I'm you know being good or better or whatever those words are but I didn't even know who like what was even in my own heart like you know that resentment or like hurt or bitterness like I couldn't even see that for myself so yeah yeah, like I think knowing God's heart is one thing but I think like knowing our own true hearts is also another thing Mm -hmm. I I think uh sorry go ahead John no, I was just, um, you know, Sai, when you mentioned about the Japanese occupation of Korea, I, I was thinking the same thing. And and to me, there's a couple of examples where I think this can be personalized to us. So l- like you said, for the longest time, I harbored, you know, the, the angriest sentiments against the Japanese for what they did. And to the point where it was kind of, it was getting irrational, like to the average Japanese person out there, you know, you know, I didn't want to have any anything to do with them. But, uh, you know, after a while, you just realize that, um, first of all, the average Japanese person had absolutely nothing to do with what happened, uh, you know, b- before the Second World War. And, um, you know, in, in light of the, the unearthing of all these unnamed tombs uh, or unnamed, uh, you know, grave sites of the indigenous children, the way that I felt about the Japanese is the exact same as if as if a non-Canadian said to me, because John, you're a Canadian, I dislike you because of what you did to the indigenous population. Right. So that that to me was um, a, a bit of a, a stark a, awakening to say, you know, the harboring of uh, harboring of hatred toward the Japanese it, where is the love? Like, where is the grace in, in my views and attitudes toward them? That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is more recently with this whole pandemic, there's been such a big divide between those who got vaccinated and what we call as anti-vaxxers or those people who decided not to get vaccinated. And it's become such a, such a them versus, you know, them versus us kind of a thing. And what I've been thinking about recently is how did it get to this point where, where people who chose not to get vaccinated, they, you know, I, I understand that some people chose it because they, they kind of, you know, 
believe certain things, but who am I to judge? Whereas previously, I found myself judging. I found myself thinking to myself, you know, it's because of the people who are non-vaccinated that we're, we have these lockdowns and things like that. And, and I think a lot of people have felt that way. But so we've gotten to this point during this pandemic where it became a big divide between the people who decided to get vaccinated and people who, who chose not to get vaccinated. And, and what I'm realizing is it didn't have to come to this point. It should have been, a, it should have been you know, you know, uh, trying to understand and, and respect each person's decision and, and just moving forward without having any kind of vitriol, um, you know, you know, uh, you know, any kind of anger or vitriol against against one one group or another. It didn't have to come to this, but we find ourselves in this in this situation where there's a big divide among two groups of people, and that's sad. That's really sad. So in this in this situation, where's the love? Where's the grace? Where's our ability to try to extend and try to empathize and try to understand? You know, we're so quick to to judge. We're so quick to uh, say it's because of this, these people that, you know, so-and-so is happening. No, that's not the case. So I just wanted to just kind of mention that because it's, it's very uh, current. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think that's a very contemporary example. And, uh, but I think it, it's very relevant. Like Jonah, I think those are the, these are the kinds of things going on in Jonah's heart, right? So when we, when we read these kind of narratives in scripture too, like, uh, we got to really kind of delve in deep. Then we start to uh, kind of see more, right? Oh, these are the, some of the dynamics at play. I mean, I think whoever wrote this uh, book, I mean, uh, that person was a genius about human nature, really understood what people are like, right? Um, and the, the themes that are coming out here, it's so profound, right? So um I mean, one of the questions was, what's the difference between his repentance and the fish and what you see here? I mean, we kind of identified that, right? Yeah, I mean, the repentance, it was when it related to him. But uh, uh, when others are repenting, uh, that uh, he's not allowing that grace to flow to them, right? So, I mean, maybe, maybe this last chapter there, what do you think was Jonah's true calling? Right? Or what, what does this last chapter reveal about the nature of God's calling? What do you guys think? Was this, was this calling just to go to Nineveh? Or uh, what was it? You know, what's interesting is that hmm. my thoughts on that is <clears throat> if we reflect on our own situations, I think we had a conversation, I don't know, like two two sessions ago about knowing our own calling, right? And what we can do for the kingdom of God, what we can do to serve and, and, and live out our calling the way that God, God mapped out for us or intended for us. And instead of looking, the perspective is kind of flipped here, right? It's not what Jonah is doing for the Ninevites. <laughs> it's okay. Well, God is asking Jonah to do this specific task here, which could be masked as his calling, but the crown jewel behind it was, we don't know anything after four, but maybe his own personal transformation. 
right? So mm-hmm. in what ways do we get challenged to be serving God or calling God or following God's direction, not for the benefit of others, but rather for, for our own reformation, for our own redemption, for, for God to reveal and allow us to be aware, self-aware, or come to a revelation of how deceitful we are. Right, and where we really need grace. So that's that's my initial thoughts. I mean, I could go into rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll leave it for the group. Good, good. Yeah, I mean, anyone want to build on what uh, Davis has shared? I think there's some good insights there. I'm trying to give opportunity, but. David, I think you uh, you really identified a crucial thing. I personally, and I never I never had this thought before when I was reading Jonah, but this time when I was reading it, I can't. I think I can't realize his calling was not just go to, to go to Nineveh because you know what, Jenny, you had a really good point because uh, you said that um, Jonah realized God would have saved them with or without him. In other words, I think I really believe that God doesn't necessarily need us. Uh, you know, in the book of Esther, uh, some some of you studied it, right? Um, when when Mordecai comes to Esther and says, you know, uh, you know, maybe who knows, maybe you've been, been called for a time such as this, but he said, you know, if you don't respond to it, help will come from another quarter, right? But for you, is this not your time to respond? In other words, yeah. So God can always uh, call others, and you know what I mean. But um, it's more about you, right? Um, and in Jonah's case here, I think his call was, um, uh, yes, to go to Nineveh, but through that, his heart, his heart calling was for his heart to be transformed, to, to see God's bigger plan of love and grace and mercy, even for his enemies. I think that's what his true calling was here. To go beyond himself. So he he says here, um, you are concerned about the bush. The Hebrew word, um, it can be concerned. It's also, it means care, right? You care about this bush. In other words, you just care right now about yourself, your comfort. But, um, uh, and, but God is saying, and should I not be concerned or care about Nineveh? With 120,000 people and animals, some people are white and with animals, and in other words, like innocent life, innocent human life, innocent animal life. Should I not care about them? Right? So in other words, like our calling is to be called into God's bigger world. Right? But to do that, for us to care, we need to be transformed. On, on, a, on a brighter note, right, I really believe that this passage or the, the story of Jonah really represents God's care and love for every individual. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, sure, the Ninevites and he wants to proclaim all that, but he had so much intentional care and time and 
an effort to showcase Jonah, a reflection of his own heart. And it's just like, this is God of the universe. You know, the God who created the universe and everything. And he's like, no, I'm pinpointing my attention to you, Jonah. Right. And it's just, I guess I'm just having a moment of like grace and thanksgiving of saying, you know, how, how amazing is our God to like come down and, and take so much detailed interest in our own lives over the smallest thing, like a bush we didn't even create or labor over. Right. And listen to us and deeply care for us. And like Jonah, we're so deceitful in our hearts. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I don't have to talk about my own story. You could reflect on your own, but uh, my, my point here is, is just, there's such an abundance of grace and love that going back to four, right? Like he is a God who's merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, right? We're ready to relent from punishing. Like how deserving are we in our sinful ways deserving of that punishment, you know? And I talked about this in the group a little bit. Um, you know, if we we tallied, you know, all the wrongdoings in our life, no one thought in the grave, <laughs> right? And and upon that reflection, it's just that patience and that steadfast love is what draws us to to Christ. So it draws us to God, and it's just just amazing, just amazing. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. So it's just a bit, uh, uh, as we're wrapping up, you know, the book of Jonah, scholars think it was written um, uh, in the post-exile period. So uh, yeah, like Israel was already destroyed by Assyria. And then the southern kingdom of Judah was eventually um, taken over by Babylon. And a lot of people were exiled, uh, especially all, all the elites. And that really kind of destroyed their psyche as well because they, they, that was their whole identity, their land, their temple, everything was gone. Uh, so they were now um, really reflecting after the exile, right? Uh, and Jonah was one of the th- uh, pieces of the things that were written after. And uh, what, what some Jewish leaders realized was uh, if you think back to Genesis, God's calling to Abraham was... Um, promise was, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing for all the nations, right? So um, God's chosen people, it was that grace and blessing was not to be contained within them. It was, they were just the vessel for that grace and blessing to flow to the rest of the world. But along the way, as humans being humans, you know, it just became all about them for a while for a lot of people. And so they had kind of lost that sense of their national calling. Right. So a book like Jonah, it's kind of a, um, an interpretation of like, you know what? We kind of went astray. Uh, our calling, even though we're destroyed, this is an opportunity for us to come back to our calling of, of uh, extending God's grace and mercy to everyone, even our enemies. Right. And who does that remind you of? See, ultimately, that became the calling of Jesus. Right. Uh, that was Christ's calling, you know, uh, he, from the Jewish people. Now that blessing of and grace and mercy of God extended forth to all of humankind. I mean, that was always their calling, but Christ now very in a concrete way uh, embodied that, right? And so even in all his teachings, I mean, this past Sunday sermon at our church was love your enemies. I mean, Jesus 
said that, right? Turn your other cheek. There's meaning behind that. Um, that's the purest form of love is when you can love your enemy. Because we can all be nice to those who are nice to us, right? We can all be kind to those who are kind to us. But um, to love your enemy, that, I mean, that, but that I think is, that's our calling as human beings is when we are in this relationship now with God through Christ, you know, we become more like, more like him. Right. And uh, from there are, you know, and, and then as unique individuals, we will have our own way. We do that. Right. The, the own form of doing that. But I think we're all called into something bigger beyond us. God's love, God's mercy. Yeah. It's pretty profound. Everything in Jonah, it's actually, if you really look at it, then these are all very, uh, this like a precursor theme to our Christian gospel. Because St. Paul said, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus did. He died for his enemies. That's the ultimate embodiment of God's calling here in Jonah. So, yeah. And how we're changed, uh, you know, Michelle, you're saying we need to come to realization of our own darkness. I agree. But I think when, you know, when we're all by yourself, that, that kind of realization doesn't usually come. It comes as you're in relationship and interact with people, right? So for those who are married, for example, as you're married and every day you're like living in class, you start to see, oh, I didn't realize I was like this, right? Or when, when you're with certain friends for a long time, you learn in a similar way, the more um, uh, in relationship we are with God, then yes, we will start to see more of who we are. God will reveal more of that. I'll, I'll just come to realize that. And because we see the distance, uh, God is like this, but I am not. God is merciful, but I'm not. Wow. What a chasm, you know, things like that. So it's all part of the spiritual journey, right? And then we realize, okay, well, as a human, I can't really change easily and be like that, but somehow God changes me, right? So, and that's the good news there. It's not all on us. God, God will change us, you know? <laughs> Any final thoughts or comments? No? Okay. Well, I mean, I pray that God can uh, lead all of you in your calling uh, into transformation uh, so, so that your care can grow, right? It grows beyond yourself uh, uh, into God's bigger care and love for this world. Yeah. How however big or small that is. Cool. Okay, I'm gonna stop the recording here.